I think it's, I think the concept of toxic masculinity as a blanket statement is just irresponsible because it, it, it just, it, it just puts a, a negative connotation on something that is supposed to exist. Masculinity is supposed to exist. Strong men willing to protect their families, willing to protect their wives, willing to protect their children, doing everything to keep them safe. It is necessary in this world. And I would say the fact that we're losing that is precisely what is causing weak societies right now. We, we, have, we have children that are completely out of control. Get ready to tune in to stories of average men striving for greatness to become the leaders that are needed in their homes, in their career, and their communities. This is the Brotherhood of Fatherhood podcast. Hey, everybody. Welcome to this episode of the Brotherhood of Fatherhood podcast. If you listen much, you'll notice that I haven't had a guest in a while. Well, that's changing it today. So I have Coach Zeke with me. There's a lot to say about this uh, amazing man. I was introduced to him by a friend of mine who is also going to have him on her podcast. And she shared a video with me about uh, some political stuff. But, you know, Coach Zeke being from uh, Argentina, if I'm remembering correctly, has a very um, unique insight and look into the world and into our current political situation. But more importantly, he has a ton of experience in uh, business, in the martial arts and fitness world. And he is the the author of Wisdom of the Wolf Pack, Leadership in a Modern Business World. So he does some really cool consulting around business. Welcome to the show, Zeke. How are you? Oh, I'm doing good, man. How are you? I'm doing well. I'm doing well. You uh, you have a long bio, so what did I miss in there? <laughs> I didn't know how much you wanted in there, so I just I just went for it. Um, no, That's I mean, awesome. I'll take it. <laughs> you got it. You got it right. Um, I think the only caveat is that that book is about to come out. Um, it hasn't come out yet. Nope, it's, not out yet. No, it's not out yet. It's about, according to the to the publisher, it's about... I would say a week or two away from uh, from hitting stores. Um, so I'm pretty excited about that because that that took a long time to get done. It was about from the first time I, I sat down to write it till I finished it. It was about five years. Um, wow. I'm not a writer, man. So it it was wild to get that you, you get that rush of of creativity all of a sudden. You know, you had a day. And, and I'm writing about management, right? So what happens in my day-to-day influences a lot what I'm going to write about. And um, you, you'll have a day in which something went completely right. And you're like, oh, my God, I got to write about this. So you sit down and you say, blah, 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 blah. And then you get another, you, you get some, you know, a couple of weeks in which nothing happens. And it's okay because you don't want to be resolving problems all the time, right? So it, it's okay sometimes when, when business is boring because it means that things are, are steady. Things are, are working the way they're supposed to work. So, um, so anyway, so, so I would get my, my little enlightenment of I need to write and then I would lose it and time would go by. And then COVID happened in the middle. So that put a wrench in oh, wow. the whole thing very, 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 very hardly. So um, – I started writing it before COVID and I finished writing it after COVID. So um, I, I think there's a little, pers- there, there's a huge perspective in between the beginning and the end there, but it was fun. My first book, man. So that's fun. Yeah. Well, congratulations. I, it's really interesting. My mother-in-law was, I met her, my wife and I were down in San Antonio for a competition for my son and she flew in to watch and she, we were sitting down at dinner and she's like, Scott, you need to write a book. What? <laughs> like, okay. A few people told me that she's like, "Well, he's like twenty years, twenty years of being an entrepreneur, and each phase has been a new learning." And I'm like, started to really think about. It. I'm like, oh, uh, it started to like formulate in my head because so many people have said you should write a book about you know being a father, right, or about the things that help uh, us create or generate or or cultivate healthy adults that you're bringing into the world not kids but adults and i'm like yeah yeah i'm passionate about those i don't know how i'd write a book but she approached it from a new angle and uh it's quite intriguing when did you first decide that hey i need to write a book 
You know, I went through a, I went through a little bit of a personal crisis in my career. Um, in uh, about 2017, I, I had a, I opened up a gym and then I had to shut down the gym. Long story in between. We're not going to get into it. But um, I, I felt, I felt very disheartened with the industry that I have dedicated like a decade and a half of my life. So um, I got out of it about 2018. I got out of the fitness industry and I, and I went into, uh, into another industry that was not my own. And um, I started feeling, so I went into the restoration industry, which is nothing to do with what I do. Okay. If you get me into a house and you ask me and you ask me, like, oh, what's under the carpet? What is, where are the studs? I have no idea. I have no idea how to do any of that. So, so you know, it was, it was very hard to be outside of your element trying to, trying to do a job. So um, I started to get very, very um, kind of feeling bad about myself. God, man, I'm sucking at my job. And, um, and, I, and I started kind of going into a lot of, uh, a lot of podcasts. A lot, I started, I, I discovered Audible because I have a problem with reading, which is funny. Um, mm. if I, if I start reading, I'll fall asleep. That's what I do when I really want to fall asleep. So, um, I started doing a lot of audible and this job required me to drive a lot. So I started like, like packing book after book, after book, hours after hours of, of this audible. And I started reading John Maxwell, started reading, uh, there's Bedos Fulian, uh, wrote a book that I love. It's called man up. Um, you got Craig Ballantyne. I got, uh, into extreme ownership. Um, with Jocko Will, like I started getting the seven habits. Uh, then, uh, what is that? Steve Covey. And, uh, from good to great, I started getting all these books about management and it really started to get me going. And I started feeling very identified with the fact of if you're not following your passion, it's very hard to give your 100% and really shine at what you do. And, and I started really understanding that. So I started kind of looking for my way back into the fitness industry. And, and I think at that moment is how, how you have to dust yourself off after you fall, kind of fall from grace, so to speak, you know, quote unquote. And, um, and you realize like, you know, it wasn't that I was burned out of the industry. It was that I was going through a rough patch and I did not know how to take accountability for it. And I started fighting myself in the middle and, and I chose instead of fight, I chose flight at that moment. So I think a lot of those books made me realize that I needed to come back into the industry that I knew with a different mindset. And, um, and I did that and, and it worked out very well for me. And, and I landed into a job that I was very happy. I had an amazing team. I, I built a, a great team around it. All that was shut down during COVID, you know, but, but up until that point, it was a really, really good moment in my life. And I realized, you know what, I, I need to write this because this this experience helped me get to the other side of it right to the other side of feeling lost feeling like you're beat down feeling like you're burned out so if this helped me get to the other side of this i have the responsibility to help other people maybe go through the same so um reading all reading listening to all these books um i figure you know what i'm just gonna do my own i, I want to put my own stuff into into it and and see where what comes out of it right and um and and it took it took some time, but it it really came out and um and and I think COVID also gave another perspective. You know, is the because my industry in particular, I, I was always in the fitness industry. I was managing clubs, and um my industry in particular took a beating during COVID because um it, yeah. it was a, it was a total shutdown. There was no oh you can go and work from home. Absolutely not. How am I going to do that in this industry? So, um, right. yeah, so we, we took a huge beating during that. So, so trying to stay afloat during that time was very interesting and it, and it was a test of resilience. And, and I think that's kind of what, what took me to write the book, right? Cause I wanted to put that experience into something useful while it was still fresh. Yeah. I was in the fitness industry when COVID hit. <clears throat> oh, no shit. And, uh, it was, yeah, yeah. So, and I had been in it for a long time. You know, I owned my own gym, sold that to relocate to Texas in 2000, maybe 15. And, um, and then came here and, and then I got into corporate and then I was recruited back into the fitness world and working for a software slash programming slash service startup and took them from 
zero subs or no, not zero, seven subscribers to 182 subscribers, did all the sales, did all the onboarding, customer service, basically took them from um, them running an amazing concept to, you know, full-blown business. And then in the process of that, COVID hit. And, you know, every, everybody scrambles when COVID hits. You, you start trying to, well, everyone scrambled in the fitness industry, trying to figure out how to make everything work when everything shut down. And uh, talk about, I think it was just a really pivotal place for most industries, but there's some industries that I noticed that was, it was a big deal. Fitness being a, a, a big one. And did you see it, was, fast, it was a sink or swim moment for many people. Did you see how fast everything pivoted? There's one thing that I got to say about the fitness industry during the COVID situation, a testament to the resilience of, if you're in the fitness industry, you have some, you, you have to have a certain mindset to be in the fitness industry, right? Whether you are an entrepreneur mm -hmm. or, or you're a trainer or you're a gym owner, there's a lot of, there's a lot of grinding. There's a lot of day after day after day and it's exhausting. And um, so there's a lot of resilient people. And, and I, what I was looking, I was observing at what was happening with companies in the, during COVID and it is incredible how fast the fitness industry just pivoted. And, um, and everything became online. And, and there was such a boom of online programs, online clubs, online gyms, online this, online that. And, and I think it's a testament to that resilience because I, I don't think any other industry pivoted as fast as the fitness industry did. Well, they, they had to pivot fast. I, I would like to know the statistics of how many gyms did not recover from that. Mm -hmm. You know, because even after the shutdowns were done, I knew quite a few gym owners that that uh that closed down even afterwards like oh, they're yeah. like I still not I'm not recovering. I'm not but I think as bad as that is, it generated a a, a new or it it kind of brought this grouping to the top who are who are innovators, who are resilient, who you know, uh, it, yeah, it, it was a blow, man. My good friend, Matt owns a gym and, um, we were talking about this yesterday and how he had to pivot and what he had to do. He's in Canada. So it's even worse. You know, they kept forcing shutdowns yeah, and then, yeah. um, then they did the vaccine mandates and you couldn't work out or you couldn't run a business if you didn't have it. And that caused division yeah. and, oh, what a mess. But anyway, <laughs> I digress. I, I got friends, I got friends in Canada and <laughs> I'm very informed of, what what's going on with them? Um, yeah, it, it was different over there. But, but I think yeah, it was, I told them it's time to move to the U.S. You know what? It was different everywhere, and because coming coming from another country, I'm I'm, I'm not a native to the U.S. Right? I'm 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 very proud that I'm a I'm a U.S. citizen now, but I, I wasn't born here. I may uh, I came to this country ten years ago, and a lot of places I, I think the government was allowed to do things and and. They were allowed to get, to cross lines that in the United States were not crossed fully. They tried, but yeah. um, I mean, when, when they tell you the va the vaccine mandate, vaccine mandate was was massive and it got a lot of people scared. But the truth is that the moment you will refer back to um, the Civil Rights Act and you will refer back, if you if you go and you read your rights, you know, and your Article Seven Civil Rights Act. And you start going into that, you realize that businesses would would throttle back real quick. I'm like, oh, okay, we'll give you the exemption. Um, because in the United States, even though they try to do all this, if you are a responsible citizen and you start reading your rights and you start informing yourself of what your rights are and, and what they can do and what they can't do, the government can do what they can't do, you're going to realize that you have a lot of recourse to be able to fight these things, but a lot of people got scared and they got bullied into it, and they just said, "All right, well, fuck it, I'll do it." You know, it's it's my way to right. get to get out of this without a without a confrontation. Um, I love confrontation, unfortunately. So, <laughs> my wife and I we said, <laughs> "You know what? We're gonna go down swinging, whatever." And um, and and you know, our church luckily they they did a whole um, seminar on how to get your your religious exemption so they were very very helpful and um and yeah we we ended up getting it right but a lot of people did not and a lot of people allow themselves to be bullied by by um by this mandates that 
I mean, I, I, I don't want to say anything that, that cause I'm not a lawyer or anything like that, but it, it, it didn't feel right. It, it didn't feel right when yeah. you read the letter of it. And, and you know, there's one thing very important about the United States that I like, and, and I always compare this um, to a lot of other countries. And, and let's compare it to my country, right? That, that I know. My country's, um, my country's constitution starts with we, the representatives of the people. Whether Where the United States constitution starts with we, the people, right? So that's a very important distinction because in most constitutions is the government telling the people what their rights are. Whether in the United States is the people telling the government what they're allowed to do, and and I think that distinction is what what makes a huge difference with what why certain lines were not crossed in the United States. Yeah, it was definitely a social and political um, testing ground, if you will. <laughs> yes, to see. Yeah, yeah, I, and I, you know, I think a lot of boundaries were pushed and. I think there was a lot of testing of how far can we go with this? What can we do in all these exemptions? And, and, um, oh, it's an emergency. This is, we're going to declare an emergency. And like, look, if you, if, if you don't like this conversation, you're listening to this and probably shouldn't listen <laughs> or, could, or you should, and you should open your mind. Um, and, and, but there was, there was a lot of testing going on and, and it was weird. It was weird, but, a lot of really resilient people rose to the top and a lot of really resilient people came on out to the other side. You know, I go back to my friend, Matt in Canada where he didn't have a lot of rights. He, uh, he's incredibly resilient and he was very creative and came up with ways to bring in more revenue for him and his family and, uh, and to keep his gym afloat, even though it was closed. I don't even know. He tells me how many months out of the year it was like, okay, so you're open for four days. Yeah, no, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, So you now you're consulting. So I want to make a little bit of a pivot and talk about how you kind of came from, you know, this this background in the gym industry and and kind of what you're doing now. Um, I'm very passionate about business. I'm very passionate about making sure businesses thrive and the and the systems and processes and growth patterns that create that. And and I'd love to hear kind of what you're doing. Yeah. Um, Again, COVID is to blame for this. Because uh, when my club was shut down, um, I I had to find out. I, I was like, "What am I going to do now?" And one of the things I don't want to say I'm an entrepreneur because I don't think I I I can classify myself as an entrepreneur per se. And the reason I say that is because I see entrepreneurs as people who will throw themselves off a cliff and they're going to build a plane on the way down. And right. Right. And I am not exactly that kind of person, but I am the person that can fly that plane after it's built. And and I always I've always been very <clears throat> I would say I think it has to do with when I came to the United States and I, I was not allowed to work. I didn't have a work permit for um, I think it was nine months. So I was living off savings. So as soon as I got a work permit and I got a job, I was like, ooh, I'm keeping this because those nine months were brutal. Not, you know, even if they were not, they were financially difficult, but my, you know, savings and my wife working, we kind of, we kind of navigated through it, you know, together. Um, but mentally, it was just brutal to, to know that you can't, even if you wanted to, you can't legally work or something like that. It's, it's just is, is mentally exhausting every day. And, um, and I, I, once I got a job, I always wanted to grab that salary and not let that salary go. And I think that is the most difficult thing for an entrepreneur is to let go of the safety of working for someone else and working for a company to actually be in full control of, of your life, basically, with, with just true freedom, right? True, true freedom is not safe. True freedom is, is risky. Is you? It, it's just you against everything, and um, and I think COVID provided that particular spark because um, the worst had already happened. You know, my my club got shut down, and there's nowhere else to go now. So I might as well just try something new. And I started I started a uh, coach seek consulting, um, 
And basically what I wanted to do is I wanted to teach people about something that I am very, very passionate about, which is leadership. And um, I explained this in my book. My passion for, for that comes from my dad. My dad, um, uh, he was a colonel in the army in back home in my country. And, um, and he, was a, he was an incredible leader. I, I, always, I always admired the way he would be able to run a company so effectively. And, and I even asked her, how do you know how to do all this? And he's like, I don't know how to do all this. I just know how to get the people that know how to do all these things and give them what they need to achieve whatever we need to achieve. And that always stuck with me because I love that. I love, I love the, all right, I'm going to get the right people that know how to do these things. And then I'm going to, I'm going to kind of play a little bit of traffic control and seeing, okay, what are your needs? What do you need? Okay. Let me get you what you need to get your job done. What do you need? Let me get you what you need. What, What are you good at? Oh, I'm good at this, but I'm not good at the other thing. Okay. Let's get you out of what you're not good at. Let's put you into what you're good at, give you what you need and then allow you to succeed. And I think, as a manager, to be able to recognize what is each person's talent and what is the complete antithesis to their talents. Like, what do you suck at? Uh, I suck at this. Okay, perfect. We're going to work on this, but we're not going to throw you to do this because you're not going to be successful. So what's the point? So let's get you into what you're good at. And um, there's an example I always like on this is um, I had two, uh, two ladies um, that worked in, in my team in a club. And one of them was phenomenal at talking to people face-to-face. And the other one was a little bit shyer when it came to talking to people face-to-face, but she was great on the phone. But the girl that yeah. was really, really good, I shouldn't call a girl the lady that was really, really good, um, on, the, on the face-to-face, she hated the phones. And the reason she hated the phones is because she had some of that call center PTSD that, that a lot of people working call centers yeah. get, that they hate being on the phone. And um, I worked in a call center once. I can tell you it's a real, real thing. And, um, and anyway, so I said, all right, you know what? Let's do something. I had everybody doing phone calls and doing front desk. So you love doing front desk face-to-face, you know, person-to-person. You're going to do front desk. You love doing the phones. Then you're going to take her load that she's not going to be doing on the phones. You do it on the phones. And she's going to take your load on the face-to-face situation. And they were both happy. They were both thriving. And it was such a simple, easy solution that maybe even myself a couple of years back, I would have been like, no, you need to do this, this, and this. And I would have been forcing somebody to do something that they're not good at just, just because I'm not, I'm not willing to think outside of the box and create a different solution for them. So I think that is what, what made me want to be in, in leadership and strategy is teaching managers how to approach that in particular. Recognize what each one of your individuals is good at and allow them to do that so they do their best work. And, um, and honestly, it's just that. It's just teaching how to have that, that style of communication, that back and forward, that how to sit down and recognize those talents and be able to put them to work and what they need. And um, I wanted to teach that to other people. That, that's basically why I figured this is what I want to do. That's really, uh, it's really needed. So the world I come from is the micro gym industry. So that would be like CrossFit gyms, yeah. small studios, personal training studios. And I see this happening. I saw it happen before and I see it happening over and over again and it's still happening and there's even some big mentor companies out there that talk about it, but they still kind of uh, don't really address it enough because it still happens very, very frequently. I have a lot of fitness people in my in my hemisphere. <laughs> um, is they hire a coach, and that coach is maybe coaching four classes a day, and they're really good, and they're a good person, and they talk to people, and they're they're very personable. And the owner's like, well, you know, I could give them more hours and keep them around more if I had them work the front counter. Hey, would you like to work the front counter when you're not coaching? Okay. Like, sure. And they start working the front counter and they're okay, but nothing's getting done. They're not doing any of the admin work. And they're like, hey, you got to get some admin work done. This is, you need to do this, 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 and this. And then they, they start doing the admin work and, 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 and they hate it and they don't say anything and it gets done maybe an eighth of the time 
And the owner comes back and they're pissed. Well, why isn't anything getting done? Well, guess whose fault that is? Mm -hmm. It's your fault for putting a coach, someone who coaches movement, who works directly with people in the seat of an admin, which is a completely different personality. And then they wonder why they have such problems. Well, like I, you know what? Sure. You want to help them out, but don't, don't do it. That's not the way to do it. And it, it's just, it's, it's seriously, it's, it's an epidemic in my mind in this industry. It's an absolute epidemic is putting just, throwing people in positions. And I've seen it in other businesses as, as well. It's like, well, they need another five hours. So I'm going to make them my social media manager. You're doing what? <laughs> do they have any skill? They'll, well, they love to do their, they post all the time on their own page. I'm like, yeah, that's a little different than doing a business. This is just such a standard mode of operation for businesses, young business owners. And when I say young business owners, that can be 20 years long. They're just not wisdom business owners, right? They haven't taken that next step. So I totally see this is a massive issue in multiple industries, but you know, both of us being from background of fitness, I see it as a, ma a very, it's almost an epidemic, if you will. Yeah. You know what I don't like? I hate when people use the, you need to learn to multitask thing. I, <laughs> you know, I, I, I think multitasking is just a strategy to hire less people and, and save yourself up on some, on some uh, positions that you should have a specialist in, you know, because the thing about multitasking is that what are you good at? Because there's, if, if the multitasking that I see recently, I, you gotta be willing to multitask and you gotta be willing to do from this to this, to this, to this, that the spectrum of, of different activities that you put in on this person is so wide that how are you expecting for that person to be a specialist in any of those? Because if that person is a specialist in one of those, they're not going to be even remotely good at, at, at the whole, you know, at the whole side of the spectrum that you put in them on. So I, I think that's one of the things, right? It's like trying to make everybody do everything in a company. And when you said that, you said the thing, they're trying to save money. And the truth is, is it may be saving money in the moment, but you're, you're, you're going to bleed sideways. Like, Put a little bit of uh, put a little money behind it, and and let that front desk person, let that front best desk person do that full time. And here's why: maybe there's only twenty hours a week when people are actually coming in and out. But that front desk person may be really good at communicating with people and re a really good people person. So that might be the right person in between hours to be sitting there if, in case someone comes in. But also, if they love connecting with people add that to their role and, and, but, but make sure it's a good fit first. And that is the, you know, that's, that's another thing is, is don't just put people in because you think it's a good fit. Do your work, figure it out first. And, and uh, yeah. think about, you, you said you might be saving money in the short term and not on the long term. Think about this. How expensive is it to have a revolving door in your business? Like, incredibly expensive. How expensive is it to go through a hiring process? How expensive is it to have to sit through interviews, right? Because time is money. When you're an entrepreneur or you're a business owner, time is money, man. So when you're sitting hiring people, you're wasting money. How much? How much money do you waste in in new training? How much money do you waste in everything that comes with bringing a new person on board and getting them up to speed? So when you think about it, you think you're saving money, but Imagine how much more you would be able to do if you had one person that has been working there for years. Because how good are you at the things that you do often, right? Versus the mm -hmm. things that you do, you just started doing something. It's like, you know, a concept that I love is, I'm trying to remember when I, where, I heard, where I read this. Um, I think it was in, from good to great. And uh, I'm blanking who the author is, and, and I'm going to kick myself later. So That's Stephen Covey. No, no. Um, it might be Collins, Jim Collins. All yeah. right. So from good yeah. to great, they talk about the flywheel, right? So it, you start moving in and it's very difficult. This massive flight was very difficult to move at the beginning. And you start like, there's so much effort involved, so much effort involved. And then suddenly you start going, you start going and it starts moving. And then you just move with one finger. Right. And, um, a problem that I see very often is that we never, we, 
we as managers, sometimes that we want people to be amazing and incredible at something immediately because it's the third person that we had to put in that position and we are behind already. Right. And, and we never get to the point in which the flywheel is moving and, and things become a little bit faster, and a little bit easier. So we're always stuck in the beginning stages. Right. And, um, and I think that is a big problem because how much talent are we wasting? And talk about talent. When you go and you hire somebody, why do you hire somebody? Because they're talented, they're unique, right? You like the personality of that person. You, you liked everything they had to offer. They had the spark. Imagine you hire that person because of that. And then in the first week, you tell them, all right, forget about all that. And you have to do things exactly the way I tell you, you know, and, and nothing else. And, and, you know, fuck your creativity, and I don't want you, I don't want you to bring anything new. I just want you to do exactly what I tell you here. This is, this is the manual and you can, then why did you hire talent? Why, right. why did you hire somebody different? Why did you, why did you, if you like that personality, then allow the personality to flourish, allow them to bring new ideas, be open to, to, Hey man, I, I, I'm not good at doing this, but you know what I'm great at this. Perfect. Let's put you there and let's make you excel there. And then we'll figure out what we do with this other part. But, um, but yeah, I think there is a, there is a, I think there is a comfort in just having some positional authority and tell them, tell people to do what they need to do just because you say so. And, uh, and expect them to do it up until the moment they quit because they found something that is going to use their skills. Right. You said something very early on that I have a, I'm pretty passionate about it and it's, but you have to be in a place in your own self-confidence that you're fine with it. I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to look to hire someone who's better at the skill than me. That's what I'm going to do. Yeah. I'm not looking for someone to copy what I do. I'm looking for someone who's going to do better than I do. And that takes humility and I'm not bragging because that's the opposite of humility. But but I have made this this observation that if I hire someone who does something at my level or below because I'm personally a little put off by the fact that, you know, they might be better, then I'm allowing if I hire that person, I'm allowing them to come in and express their their you know, form of genius and take my business to the next level. So the way like I've done what I do is I bring someone in, I teach them everything I know about that, what, what I want them to know. And then I let them loose. Uh-huh. And I'm like, but from the very beginning, if you have a better way of doing this, by all means, document it and present it to me. And if it's better, I'm all for it. Like, and I think you have to have that going into anything. A lot of people will hire on personality and not on, uh, a, they'll hire the person, but they won't hire for the role. So this is another, uh, I love my member. This member comes in and she's so nice. She's nice to me every day and she always shows up. So she's, she's timely. She's on, per, she's on time for classes. She's so joyful. And I have this uh, social media manager position open again. And it's like you hired, that's how you chose who to hire for a social media manager because it's the easy way. It's the, it's there. You don't have to go do a search. You don't have to interview. You know, this person, they're awesome. I would be the worst role ever for them. So there's just a lot of that, a lot of that goes into how you hire and what you hire for what you choose to hire for. And then what you do with them once you hire, I just feel like the best move is, giving them free reign. This is what I need done. Show me the best way. Let's make it happen. Yeah. Yeah. Agree or disagree? No, no, I completely agree. Yeah. And and I like that approach. I I think that is the right approach is, is, Hey, this is the goal. This is what we want to achieve. I'm not going to ask you to go exactly in this road. Just show me how you do it. You know? And, and yeah, there was something that I always liked to do with my with my staff. Whenever they would bring me a problem, I would ask them to bring me a problem and a solution. Don't walk into my office. Mm-hmm. We just have a problem. I want you to bring a problem and a solution. Now, the solution might not be the best solution. It might not be the solution that we're going to go with. But I want you to engage in the exercise of thinking of a solution. And then maybe you nail it. Maybe you don't. But I'll help you if you didn't nail it. Then, hey, you come and you tell me, hey, Zeke, I got this problem. 
Uh, cool. What's your solution? This is my solution. Huh? That works. Go execute. Or this is my solution. Mm, hold on. Let's sit down. Let, let's let's polish that a little bit. You know, but at least there was an exercise in finding that solution rather than just being, I have a problem. Right. Help me, you know, and throw your hands in the air. I train, I train, so I, I place people in businesses and we train them the one, three, one, um, technique. So for when you have a problem, one, you have a problem, you find, you research and you find three viable solutions and then you choose the one you want to start with. So when you go to your person leading you, when you go to your boss, your manager, whatever you say, Hey, Hey Zeke. Here's the problem. Here's three solutions I found. Boom, boom, boom. I propose that we do solution number two, and here's why. Now you've done, you've identified the problem to your leader. You've brought up viable solutions showing that you've done your research and you're not just stuck in one little area. And then you present the one that you think is best. And now you've just shown your, you've shown, you've shown that you can be a problem solver, but it also allows your boss or your leader or your manager to look at the other solutions and be like, wait, 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 wait. I really like number two. You like number one. What if we kind of combine those together? How would that look? Right. And so I love the one, three, one technique, I guess is what you would call it. If we got to come up with a better name, I didn't coin that, but someone else did, but it's a, uh, it's basically what you were saying. It's it works really well. Yeah. Yeah, I, and I guess that's the difference between having having the people around you not be just you know mindless cogs in the machine. You you want them to right. you want them to be thinking at a higher level, right? I mean, one of, one of the best compliments I think that any leader can have, and and when I say leader, I'm not talking about the boss. Okay, positional authority to me means very little. Okay, if you have positional authority right. without having influential authority, like people are following just because you are the boss, just because you are one position on top of them, that's the only reason they're following you. Man, that's going to be so short-lived. And the moment you turn your back on anybody, they're talking shit about you. You know that. You know, you have right. you don't have the respect. So you, you always want to go for that influential authority. And um, I totally forgot what I was saying, bro. <laughs> Oh, well, you, you had me going down that, um, uh, that's okay because you totally had me going down another, another pathway that I was thinking about earlier. And that's, I think this is an epidemic cause I'm feeling it too, but you can only lead to a certain level. And, and one thing that happens a lot in organizations is they will continue to elevate somebody until they're beyond their level of proficiency. So you have this person does really good in sales. And then all of a sudden you're like, Hey, like I'm going to put you in charge of the Northwest territory. And then maybe that's three salespeople. Right. And you're like, okay, but you're still going to be selling, but you're going to be in charge of those three folks. Okay, cool. And they do amazingly well, right? They're just crushing it. They're beating their goals. Next they're like, Hey, like, I think we're going to add, um, we're going to double up your team and everything goes well. And what's going to happen organizationally is you're always going to keep elevating that person. But what happens almost unequivocally all the time is an individual in an organization will be elevated until they've exceeded their skill set. So now this person is in charge of national sales and they have 45 people under them. They no longer get to sell, which is really what it comes down to is what they were doing good. And they were doing it good and they had only a team of three or six so they could actually show that team of three or six what they're doing. Now you're taking them out of the sales thing and all they're doing is telling salespeople, telling salespeople how to do things. Well, some of those salespeople are in different territories and those territories act differently. They need a different skill set. Now you've put someone in there who is only going to fail at their position because you've exceeded their lid. This is a John Maxwell thing. Yeah. You've exceeded their, their talent or their experience. And there is actually, this is, this is a principle. There's a name for it. But I see this happen all the, all the time in, in institutions as well as, or in, in small businesses. Like, oh, well, she's my general manager. Well, why? Well, she was a, she was a really popular coach. Okay. And so she's a general manager. <laughs> well, she sucks. Yeah. 
right? You know, you yeah. Bet, you, so anyway, I it, your best player is not your your. You know, an example I always love with this: your best player is not necessarily the best coach. So, for example, Maradona. We're going to talk with about my country, right? Maradona. Maradona was one of the best players. I mean, in Argentina, we have three players that come to mind immediately, right? It's Di Stefano, way back in the 50s. Maradona, 70s and 80s and beginning of 90s. And then you have Messi, right? Which is mm -hmm. right now. Maradona was a great player. Phenomenal player. He sucked as a coach. He was so bad as a coach. You know why? Because he approached coaching in the same way that he approached playing. And, and that salesperson that you have, that might be a phenomenal sales guy, but that doesn't mean that he's going to know how to lead and he's going to know how to teach and he's going to know how to adapt to the needs of maybe another person that doesn't have his skill set. Because that is the thing. It's easy for me to sell. Why? Because I am outgoing and I can talk to people and I can do this and I can do that and I have all the skills. Cool. What happens if you don't have one of those skills? How, do, how are you going to modify the way you are going to approach the sales process? And I think that is a problem with, with having somebody with promoting to manager just your, your, your best salesperson or your best, um, you know, whatever, whatever your business is, right? Yeah. Oh, this is my best employee, so I'm going to promote him to manager. Hold on. Does he have the skills to be manager? Does he even want to be a manager? Because he's so good at the, what he does that a lot of people are in sales. I've, I've known people that are in sales that make more money than the managers. Uh, they make more money than the owners a lot of times. You time. know, they don't necessarily need the the career advancement. They're just perfectly fine. No. They're excelling at it, and there's no reason for them to be a manager. But then you're going to be like, hey, man, but if you don't want to, if, if I'm offering you a position, a, a higher position, and you're saying no, then that shows me that you're not committed to the company. Wrong. Because that person can be committed to your company in what they are the best at. And there's no reason for you to just stifle that skill set just because you want to, you want that person to fit in the little perfect box of, you started as a, as a, as a salesperson, you have to be an assistant manager, and you have to be a manager, and you have to be a regional. Maybe not. Maybe that person as a salesperson is all you need in your company. And, and if that person is happy with that and that person is fulfilled with that, then why would you move them out of there? They are doing what right. you need them to do. Right. <laughs> yeah, that's that's awesome. Uh, so we're running low on time, but I wanted to make sure that we talked about kind of your your men's group or your men's movement. I don't I don't even know how to say what it is. So I'm going to have you kind of because you're you're really passionate about masculinity, yeah. as am I. I think it's our operating system. I don't believe in toxic masculinity. No. I believe that men are toxic. Some men are toxic. Their actions are toxic. It has nothing to do with masculinity. But I, I know you have a little bit to say about that. And, you know, it's a, it's a passion of yours. So yeah. I, I don't know what to say other than to kind of just give you that uh, segue of like, what have, when did you start to kind of like, hey, masculinity, we gotta we got to focus on this. We need more of this. When did that happen and what's what's the path forward on that for you? Yeah, I, I find the, the concept of toxic masculinity to be just the most ridiculous thing I've ever heard because it is not masculinity that is toxic because there's a there's a I always see a video going out there. I don't, I don't even know what the podcast is, but, you know, when, when they take the little snippets of the podcast and they put them on, on social media. Yeah. And then, you know, there was this dude saying, like, like you don't think it's toxic when the firefighter picks you up and, and takes you out of a, out of a building. And, and it's true. It, masculinity is not toxic. They are toxic people that are men that are, that are behaving like assholes. Sorry, I don't know if we can curse them right. or not. But, you know, and, and then you have women that do exactly the same. So is that toxic femininity or whatever you call it? I think it's I think the concept of toxic masculinity as a blanket statement is just irresponsible because it, it, it just it, it just puts a, a negative connotation on something that is supposed to exist. Masculinity is supposed to exist. Strong men willing to protect their families, willing to protect their wives, willing to protect their children doing everything to keep them safe 
it is necessary in this world. And I would say the fact that we're losing that is precisely what is causing weak societies right now. We we have we have children okay. that are completely out of control. We am a, they're not even children anymore. I mean, I, I say children because I'm I turned forty this year, so my daughter is eighteen. So that's a child to me. And when you think about it, mm-hmm. an 18, 20 year old, 20 year old, uh, uh, dude, he should be a man already. He should, he should know, uh, you, you should know how to take care of himself. So he should know how to, how to, uh, well, 50 years ago, you were already having a family at that age. So I feel like, like this lack of masculinity in, in young men has, uh, created a, a generation that is taking longer to grow up and is taking longer to take responsibility. and and they are um, chucking everything as toxic masculinity, and they're forgetting that being a gentleman is part of that masculinity. You know, being opening the door for your lady is part of that masculinity. I I find myself I like to open the door for my wife, and when when she's yep. going in the car, and not because she can't open her own door. You know, I'm not implying that I need to take care of a precious little flower. It's just me wanting to give that attention, me wanting to be respectful. And, and I think a lot of that is being lost and, um, and men are becoming weaker and weaker and weaker. And, and that will create very, very hard times in the years to come. And, and I think that's what we're seeing right now is, is the result of weak men is the world that we have today. So um, to go into what you asked me at the beginning, <laughs> um, my group is called the Wolfpack Gentleman Society. And um, basically, it started with, uh, it, it was me and 12 other uh, friends of mine that were all part of another brotherhood. And um, we, we did not like some of the direction that the other brotherhood was going. So we decided, you know what, we want to be what we want to be. We want to be unapologetic men that do manly things. And and we don't want to be ashamed of it, you know. So we have this group in which uh, it started with 13 founders. Now we have class class zero one graduated in October. Yes, uh, at the beginning of October, class zero one graduated, which was about twenty guys, and then in November we started uh, class two, which class two uh, has another twenty guys, and uh, basically it's twelve months in which we're gonna get to know these guys. We're gonna get to uh, give them different tasks that they need to complete as a group or as an individual. They need to select their leadership. They need to uh, do different things that are going to make them, that are going to put them together as a group, but also is going to show us, the founders, what they're made of. And throughout that whole 12-month period, we're going to see who's who, what each person is made of. And at the end of the 12 months, we're going to vote and decide who becomes a brother to us. And um, what we do internally is basically we support each other. It's... uh, it's one of the things that I hate is there's a ton of weight on men's shoulders um, all the time. There is a, mm-hmm. and, and a lot of people don't understand this. And, and a lot of times women don't understand this that, that because we don't voice it. We don't say it. We don't, we don't complain. So sometimes it's like, Oh, being a man is easy. <laughs> Fuck it is. It is not. <laughs> there's a lot of responsibility. There's a lot on our shoulders. And a lot of times we have nobody to talk to. So what we do with this group is we are there for each other. When you're having a bad day and, and you don't know who to talk to and you want to just go and complain and you need to cry and complain and, and, and curse and do whatever you need to do, we're here for you. We want to listen to you and we want to provide our collective combined wisdom to help you solve that problem so you don't feel alone. And uh, Yeah, that's, that's insanely cool. And, um, you know, I've done a good job of uh, kind of surrounding myself in those environments and creating them as well. And what I've noticed is that guys that get, it's hard for them to get involved, but once they get involved, it's, it's, it's kind of a ride or die thing. They're in it. And we need this more than ever. I was checking in a bag to the airline two weeks ago and I walk up, I do, I do my little kiosk thing and I start walking up in the line and there's this guy, a worker, he moves the belt on the you know, those little organizers tells people where to go. And he's like, oh, it's this way. So he moved it. And I'm like, oh, weird. Okay. I don't see a sign or anything. And I w- walk. I'm like, that's that's a little odd. <laughs> like, you know, like point people where they should go. 
And he turns around and walks away and says something, a real smart ass comment under his breath. Mm-hmm. He's like, well, I guess you can't read a sign, you know, like something really stupid. And I turn around and this is where I realize that we are in trouble. I turn around and I said, excuse me. I'm like, I need help finding where to go. You don't have to be an asshole about it. Yeah. That's all I said. He goes behind the counter and he looks at his coworker. This is a guy, grown ass man. He's like, I feel threatened. <laughs> I was, and in my head, I'm going, dude, you don't even know what threatened is yet. <laughs> and he got, he got combative and he's like, this guy is threatening me. I feel threatened. My, and I'm like, I was looking at this other employee. I'm like, he made a smart ass comment. I called him out on it. I said, you know, that's no way to treat a customer. It's very confusing where I'm supposed to walk. I don't need you to be a smart ass about it. And he goes, see, he's threatening me. I'm like, hey, man, like, look, just give me your name. I don't appreciate you calling me, you know, making a, a snide comment just out of my reach. I heard it. He's like, I didn't say anything, you know, and it just got really bad. And uh, I realized this is what we've done in our society. We've raised these guys who have no sack. No, he's not willing to take me saying, dude, you're, you're out of line. Like if someone says I'm out of line, I'm like, I'm so sorry, man. They are keyboard warriors. That's what it is. They're not used to that face-to-face confrontation. How, How old are you? I'm 50. 50. Okay. So you're definitely from the time where this was a thing. Because I'm 40 and if I'm from the time... Remember when you when you would say something silly to another man? You would say something out of place or something silly and you get punched in the mouth? I would be like, oh. Yeah, confrontation. Well, I guess now yeah. I understand that that's not the right thing to say. Right? So you wouldn't right. measure your words. You would measure your words. You would measure the level of respect that you would talk to another man. Because you knew that you were responsible for anything that you said. Because it was right here, face to face. Like, I remember in a, in a grocery store, I, I during the pandemic, I, I did not wear a mask. I think it, they, they don't work. It's just ridiculous. I'm, I'm not going to do it. So I'm walking in a grocery store. And this guy walks by me. And then I saw him looking at me. And I, I know how to recognize the look. Mm-hmm. Right? Because you get it all the time. Yeah. So he keeps walking. And he waited until he was all the way in the back of the aisle, all the way back there, to say, mask. I'm like, I go like, dude, you couldn't say, you couldn't say that to me, to my face, like right when you were next to me. You had to wait till you were all the way back of the aisle over there and yell from way back there. And and I take that as a, as, that's incredible because that to me is ridiculous. If I have something to say to you, I'm going to go and I'm going to stand in front of you. I'm going to look at you in the eye. I'm going to say what I need to say. And I think that art has been lost. And, and mm-hmm. you know, it, 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 everybody's used to that like the weaponization of, of an HR of an HR department in a company. Like uh, somebody calls and it was, it was an anonymous blah, blah, blah. It's like, no, they can't be anonymous. Just tell me exactly what happened. You yeah. say it and let's talk about it. You know, it's, I, I hate that, that type of uh, culture that we have right now. And I, I blame the I honestly, I blame the internet for that. Cause I think people got too comfortable yeah. saying outrageous things with zero consequence. What I realized at that moment, and I don't want to take this to extremes, but if we have a confrontation that requires the U.S. citizens to stand up, we're in trouble. <laughs> we're in trouble with anybody 30 years old or younger. At least half. I was like, dude, if you can't look me in the face and say, hey, like, like uh, kick back, say you should have read the sign. I said, I didn't see the sign. Sign's in a really bad place. My apologies, man, but you don't need to be smart ass. And then approach me like that instead of just being like, whoop, whoop, whoop. This guy's threatening me. And I'm like, you're, you're saying the word threatening in an airport. Like, that's a big no-no. <laughs> and I'm, I was just thinking, man, you have no idea what a threat is. Because in my day, if, it, if I said that to a kid in high school, I would have gotten knocked out. And if someone said that to me in high school, I would have knocked them out. 
and that's just how we dealt with things. But guess what? We're able to look each other in the face and talk about things because we're not afraid of confrontation. I mean, I can't tell you. We're not afraid of of standing up for what we believe. Yeah, I can't tell you the amount of times I got got punched in the mouth for saying the wrong thing. And you know what? I learned a lesson. And uh, and I can't tell you the amount of times that I – that that I got into a fight with somebody and ended up being friends with that person. Always, so often. No, because listen, man, so you, got, you got to value the fact that you have another man that is willing to stand for what he believes in and, and he's willing to take a stand like that. And there's some respect mm-hmm. that, 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 that rose out of that. And I appreciate that. And I, I, I miss when, when men were men, honestly. <laughs> yeah. You do this uh, this group, and you said you you guys choose who's going to be your brothers. Did you choose guys? That, did you exclude guys from moving on after a one group that don't get to be a part of the society, or do you approve everybody? Oh no no no, we we don't approve everybody, and um, and in fact, in order to get in, you have to have a unanimous vote of the thirteen founders. If you don't have a unanimous vote of the thirteen founders, you're not in. And uh, even if one guy, even one of the 13 founders says, hey, man, I'm not comfortable with this guy coming in here, then you're not in. Even if 12 guys said yes, but one said no, um, we, we had that situation, actually. And uh, we we have three guys that didn't get the full 13. So but they got they got like the majority, a, a comfortable majority, but they were like mm-hmm. two or three votes. And um, and we told them, listen, this is what happens, man. It's it's. Two or three votes are missing. And I even talked to the guys and I told them, these are the guys that didn't vote for you. We're men here. We're responsible for our votes. There is no there is no secret vote. I don't know who said yes or no. Fuck it. I said no. <laughs> I'm, I don't like you. you I know? love it. So convince me. Tell yeah. me why I should get you, why I should allow you in. And I told one of the guys was angry. Like, oh, this is a popularity contest. It 100% is, man. It, what, you have to, these guys have to like you. If these guys don't like you, then you're not in. It's the, it's it's our club. We we are going to decide who comes in. And you know, and 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 this is the person that didn't like you. So go talk to that person. There's there's no mystery yeah. as to why they didn't get in. Go talk to this person. And and out of the three, there was one of the guys that he took that feedback like a champ. And then he went and he talked to the people that he needed to talk to. And uh, and actually, we told him that he was in uh, two days ago. A day ago? Two days ago? I he handled know. it like a man. It's exactly. Is that thing? Yeah. There's no. There's yeah. no. We don't hide behind the secret vote. Anything that we're gonna, yeah. anything that That's has cool. happened, we put our name behind it, man. And and I, I never escape my words. And I told everybody, if you say it or if you write it, you are responsible for that. There is no hiding from what you're saying. So be ready to defend your opinion. Yeah, I love that. I love that, and we need more of that. We, we need more of that. So I'm super pumped you're doing that. 20 guys a year, that makes an impact where that, because that trickles out, it, you know, and you can become a victim or you can become a victor. And it sounds like one of those three became a victor by approaching like, hey, I apparently have a weakness. And the only way through is through. I'm going to, I'm going to put on my big boy pants. And I'm going to go talk to those guys keeping me yeah. from my goal. And, and you I, also I have think to be- that is going to help us. You also have to be nominated by a member and you are responsible for the person you bring in. Wow. So whenever you're going to bring somebody in, you're going to say, I want this person in, you better be sure because you are responsible. You're their sponsor and you're responsible for for whatever this person does to the group. So, (laughs) Mm. I love that. It's really smart uh, business-wise if you guys – I don't know if you're collecting money or not, but it's really smart no, business-wise <laughs> to kind of continue, continue to build the, the system, right? Like, Yeah, hopefully – I, well, I, we do I don't do – Yeah, we, we have a group in there with, as a business-oriented group. So a lot of these guys are, are entrepreneurs and business owners. So we try to help each other as much as possible. And, you know, if I That's need awesome. a service that is provided by somebody in the brotherhood, I'm sure, shit, I'm going to go to that guy first. Yeah, that's cool. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, the Wolfpack Gentleman Society. That's really cool. Coach Zeke, thank you so much. Uh, Your book comes out when? Um, Honestly, right now, I don't have a hard date for it, but I'm going to say within the next two weeks, it should be out already. Okay. And um, if you go to uh, Coach Zeke Consulting, all my social medias on my website, it's all Coach Zeke Consulting, like the the handles. Okay. 
the website, everything is Cozy Consulting, and I'm going to be putting it there. Whenever whenever it's coming out, you okay. find out through there. All right. Audience, we will have that uh, link in the show notes, so check it out. Go follow Coach Zeke. And, hey, if you own a business, you probably need to hire this guy and figure this stuff out because it is a game changer to get the right people in the right seat and make sure they're doing the right things. Correct. It's kind of that uh, understanding of your people is incredibly and, – and give, empowering them to do what they do best is going to only help you in your business. Coach Zeke, thank you very much. Appreciate you, Scott. Thank you very much. Thank you for listening to the Brotherhood of Fatherhood podcast. If you enjoyed the podcast, be sure to share it with your friends, your family, and follow us on social media. If you are a father, make sure you join our Facebook group, The Brotherhood of Fatherhood. Hit the subscribe button and tune in next time for more podcasts from The Brotherhood of Fatherhood.